This episode of News Dump is brought to you by HelloFresh. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the brick wall. Yes, it's real. It's um, not a green screen. It's not a green screen, and uh, yeah, it's going to take us a little bit of time to get the lighting and the camera and the fan art and all that into place, but uh, look, we like it. And uh, we're here at our new studio, and it feels great to have a little bit more room and an actual set behind us once again. And while we know this is kind of new and very unsettling, change to a is lot of scary. People, uh, there's plenty of you who watched us since we were back on ETC in front of something very familiar. Yeah, you should like this. Yeah, so go ahead and get all of the, uh, I miss the old set or whatever out of your system. I miss that fucking hideous, literally carpet on the wall set was, that you guys were just It was using. carpet we bought at Home Depot. Yeah. Um, Come on. Yeah, this is, it's better. Uh, just, yeah, leave all that stuff down in the comments below, and then within a few days or weeks, you'll be used to the set, and uh, we can just all move on. Yeah. Anyway, Brick Wall is back in the room. Martin Shkreli, back in the news. Yeah. Because uh, that one-of-a-kind Wu-Tang album that he bought back back then and uh, for a lot of money, it's finally been sold to someone else who will now carry the curse <laughs> that comes with yeah. that one-of-a-kind Wu-Tang album. Mm -hmm. uh, as you recall... While Farmer Bro Martin Shkreli was making headlines for being the face of pharmaceutical greed, uh, he was also someone who, for whatever reason, loved being viewed as a villain and really leaned into that by being a generally insufferable person alongside all the actual evil shit that he was responsible for. Mm -hmm. And one of the various viral stunts that he did with the intention of getting even more people to hate him was to purchase a one-of-a-kind, unreleased Wu-Tang Clan album for $2 million so that no one else could have it or hear it. It's mine. Uh, at various points before his conviction and incarceration, he did play small snippets of the album on live streams, but uh, never released more than that. And within two years of Shkreli being unmasked as the guy who purchased Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, he was convicted of securities fraud and later sentenced to seven years in prison and was also forced to forfeit over $7 million worth of assets, which included the infamous one-of-a-kind album. And since then, Shkreli has mostly quietly served his prison sentence, only popping up in the news a few times for things like asking to be released from prison during the pandemic so that he could work on a cure for COVID. And of course, uh, more recently, when a story went viral about the love affair that he had apparently had with a journalist who was previously covering him for Bloomberg News and basically threw her life away to be with him. Yeah, and you can't even say, wow, that dick must be good because at least at that point, they had never had sex. Yeah, it was. I love him for his personality. I Pure love confidence. I love Martin Shkreli for his personality and his looks, his dashing good looks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, this week we were thrown back into the world of Martin Shkreli when news broke that the Wu Tang Clan album that was seized by the federal government had been sold at auction to another mystery buyer mm -hmm. uh, from NBC News. The government has sold the one of a kind Wu Tang Clan album previously owned by former drug company CEO Martin Shkreli to pay off his debts. Proceeds from the album sale by the Justice Department will go towards Shkreli's debt, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for Eastern New York. The record's purchase contract included a confidentiality provision that shrouds the identity of the buyer and amount of the sale. Quote, with today's sale of this one-of-a-kind album, his payment of the forfeiture is now complete, acting U.S. Attorney Jacqueline M. Kasoulis said. Now, as of April of this year, Shkreli still owed the government around $2.3 million. So... The news that his forfeiture payment is now complete 
means that the album could have sold for at least $300,000 more than Shkreli originally paid for I, it back it, in 2015. It's certainly even more valuable than it was before due to having a story. It's a good investment. Uh, so who is this mystery buyer and will they finally release the album so that everyone can hear it in full? Well, according to Peter Schoolidge, the lawyer who handled the sale and represented the buyer, the person who purchased the album is, quote, going to identify themselves in the future, I'd say in the next 30 to 60 days. But CNBC's reporting attempts to draw some connections between Schoolidge and clients that he's previously represented to try and hint at who the buyer might be, saying, quote, what Schoolidge did not mention Tuesday was that he previously represented Long Island artist Jason Koza, who sued Shkreli, Wu-Tang Clan co-founder Robert Rizza Driggs, the album's co-producer Tariq Silverrings Azagar, and an online auction house in connection with illustrations artwork used in the 174-page leather-bound book that was sold to Shkreli as part of the album. Nor did Schoolidge mention that he also has, in the past, represented Azagar in connection with the same album. Schoolidge's involvement in the album sale and his past history of Wu-Tang Clan-related issues involving the same record raised the question of whether the group or individual members of it were involved in the purchase of their album back from the government. Schoolidge declined to comment on that possibility. Hmm. Obviously, the implication here is that uh, Wu-Tang Clan or someone who worked on the album or Rizza, a member of the Wu-Tang Clan, might have bought back the album themselves. Interesting. I like the theory that it was Elon Musk. Yeah, that's fine. That would just be... Get it? It's the Martin Scarelli album. Yeah. I it, did it for the memes. Yeah, it would be another dick move to be like, I have something no one has and you mm. can't hear it. But, uh, you know, look, there's a 50-50 chance that this thing will actually be released now. Yeah, I guess we'll find out soon. If a dickhead doesn't own it. Anyway, moving on to the Tokyo Olympics. They continue to be a complete disappointment for various reasons, many of which we've covered recently. But one in particular that we pointed out last week was that these games might end up costing Japan around $20 billion in financial losses when everything's said and done. And uh, the tallies are all added up, uh, which would be... Uh, that would be Japan uh, not only taking a historic L this time around, but also NBC, who has the exclusive broadcast rights for the games, they're also failing in numerous ways that will almost certainly end up hurting them financially. As you're all probably aware by now, watching the games or seeing clips of the events is a chore. But some variables are also completely out of their control. Yeah, the main one is that the games are being held in Japan, which means the, the biggest moments are happening while a decent amount of potential viewers uh, for NBC are asleep. And then those viewers wake up to news about the events that happened while they were asleep. And that makes it far less likely to get invested in things. Yeah. Uh, there was a LA Times article where they talked to uh, various people about this and they're just like, I wake up, I see the news and I'm just like, okay, that happened. Well, on with my day. Mm -hmm. um, it could also be that a lot of people are still working from home and typically the Olympics is something that you would talk about at work around the water cooler yeah. or whatever. Um, or there's also the fact that after a year of lockdown, people are making up for lost time and uh, they're a lot more active right now during these games. So it's harder to stay interested. Now, whatever the case may be, this year's Olympics have had absolutely abysmal viewership for NBC. And according to Vulture, Primetime TV viewing levels on some nights are barely half of what they were during Rio 2016, causing some advertisers to begin talking about compensation for lower than expected ratings. 
Yeah, the, the reporting continues. During the first 15 years of the 21st century, NBC's Summer Olympics numbers defied gravity, adding audience even as almost everything else on linear TV declined. That changed in Rio back in 2016, but even with a nearly 20% drop, those games still pulled in an average primetime audience of just over 25 million viewers. It's too soon to say precisely where 2021's ratings will end up, but the first few days of data suggest a decline north of 40% isn't out of the question. Ooh! <sighs> Uh, adding that, quote, execs can talk up surging digital views or boosting signups for Peacock all they want, and such talking points aren't without some merit. Digital viewership for Tokyo is setting records, and those eyeballs are more monetizable than ever. But the simple fact is that TV viewership is still what drives ad sales, and turning a profit on the games is undeniably a more difficult challenge when ratings take a dive. Yeah. Also, we've said this before, but getting accurate digital viewership numbers or streaming numbers from a company who owns the platform that they're trying to sell advertisers on it's very uh, nebulous. You might not be getting the, uh, the the most accurate numbers. Yeah. They are going to put their best face forward. Yeah. If they put any face forward at all. True, yeah. But uh, speaking of companies being upset at viewership numbers, apparently Marvel's Black Widow is causing a lot of headaches around the industry due to Disney's simultaneous release schedule, which makes their biggest movies available on VOD the same day that they're released in theaters for an additional fee. First off, theater owners are obviously pissed about this because they expected a hell of a lot more in box office money from the release, and they're obviously blaming it on the Disney Plus premium VOD. Uh, reports indicate that box office numbers fell off 68% the week after Black Widow was released, and while the film has still pulled in around $320 million in worldwide box office gross, that is a massive drop-off from previous Marvel films. A lot of people reporting that this is the lowest-performing Marvel movie in the history of Marvel movies. Well, it's because it's starring a woman. Captain Marvel did over a <laughs> billion dollars in uh, box office. No, that's not true. And people no. were way more outspokenly negative <laughs> about that movie, so I don't think it's yeah. that. Um, it is hard I was to, joking about that, yes, by the way. This was, it was, yes. Uh, but it's also hard to blame this all on the fact that Disney made the film available on VOD. Uh, it's also the first big Marvel film since uh, Avengers Endgame. And people just might not be interested in a solo film about a character whose story arc already ended. Yeah, a little bit weird. But, hey, it's not just theater chains who are upset about the dual release of Black Widow. Because Black Widow herself, Scarlett Johansson, is now suing. Disney over the film's release on their streaming platform. Oh boy. Yeah. From Variety, in a lawsuit filed Thursday in Los Angeles Superior Court, attorneys for Johansson alleged that the star's contract was breached when the studio opted not to debut the film exclusively in theaters, a move they claimed depressed ticket sales for the Avengers spinoff. Much of Johansson's compensation was tied to the box office performance of Black Widow. If it hit certain benchmarks, bonuses would kick in. Disney intentionally induced Marvel's breach of the agreement without justification in order to prevent Miss Johansson from realizing the full benefit of her bargain with Marvel, the suit reads. In a statement to the outlet, Johansson's lawyer added, It's no secret that Disney is releasing films like Black Widow directly onto Disney Plus to increase subscribers and thereby boost the company's stock price, and that it's hiding behind COVID-19 as a pretext to do so. But ignoring the contracts of the artists responsible for the success of its films in furtherance of this short-sighted strategy violates their rights, and we look forward to proving as much in court. Uh, this will surely not be the last case where Hollywood talent stands up to Disney and makes it clear that whatever the company may pretend, it has a legal obligation to honor its contracts. 
Now, the article continues, Johansson's legal team said that representatives for the actress were worried that Black Widow would debut on Disney Plus even before coronavirus brought life to a standstill. Mm. As part of the suit, they share emails from the star's management group that asked the studio to guarantee that Black Widow would premiere exclusively in cinemas. In response, Marvel Chief Counsel Dave Galuzzi promised a traditional theatrical bow while adding, quote, we understand that should the plan change, we would need to discuss this with you and come to an understanding as the deal is based on a series of very large box office bonuses. But we probably won't have to worry about that. He admitted. He admitted, though, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty clear-cut case. I love that, like... Cotton 4K. He literally added to that response was... Because there are so many box office bonuses tied to this, yeah. that's why we would have to revisit it. It would be real fucked up of us to do that to you. We would be screwing you out of a lot of money that you would definitely be getting in the theatrical version and therefore not getting in uh, your VOD home release. So, <laughs> Johansson's yeah. lawyer bangs the table, points to the judge and says, he admit it! He admit it! <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we have more news for you in uh, just a second. But first, let's thank today's sponsor, HelloFresh. Yeah. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. What we love most about HelloFresh is the variety. The, it's the source, it's the, it's the spice of life. The spice of life. Yes. HelloFresh offers at least 27 recipes each week, featuring a range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients, so you'll never get bored. Try something new every week. And that variety extends to different types of meals, depending on your dietary preferences and how much time you've got to cook. There's 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfast on the go, and 10 minute lunches for your busy schedule. And every week there's low calorie, vegetarian, and family-friendly recipes. Now, we're both big fans of all the different twists on burger and taco recipes HelloFresh offers. You'll never run out of fun and delicious new takes on these kinds of seemingly simple meals. Start having fun in the kitchen like we are by going to HelloFresh.com newsdump14 and use the code newsdump14. How appetizing. For <laughs> 14 free meals plus free shipping. Again, that is up to 14 free meals by going to HelloFresh.com slash NewsDump14 <laughs> and using code NewsDump14. I'm hungry. <laughs> Look, it's they're good, delicious it's, meals. It's good food, yeah. And it's great to learn how to cook yeah. if you're uh, somehow hung up on that. Anyway, back to the news dump. Now, uh, <laughs> we got director David Ayer. He's really leaning into the whole uh, Warner Brothers ruins director's visions uh, thing this week. Uh, he just came out and said that the studio cut of the original Suicide Squad is, quote, not his movie. He, ad he admitted. I mean, they, they, people have been saying this for a while. Yeah, and uh, in general, I believe. And also, you just wa just watch the fucking movie, and it's, like, obvious that someone went from the studio went in with a This hatchet. was edited by committee. Yeah. Uh, yeah, No, and I think uh, we pretty much agree on the fact that uh, out of all of the suspected uh director's visions, this one would be the most inter interesting to see the original version of. Yeah. Because like, of how much it was butchered. But also, like, David Ayer is an interesting filmmaker. Like, uh, he, he has a lot of hits, a lot of misses. Like, yeah. I wouldn't say he's one of the greats, but when... When he hits, it's When great. he hits, it's yeah. really good. Yeah. And this did not feel like there were... This movie feels like it has no vision tied to it at all. It, it, Suicide Squad feels like a movie designed to, like, sell action figures. Well, I, I, I could be misremembering this, but I believe that... Didn't they get, like, the trailer company who yeah. made it to yeah. re-edit the film? Yeah, and you can tell. Like, the first 10 minutes, there's, like, 15, like, songs that have been in the Billboard Top top 20. Just, yeah. like, cut, 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 cut. And then we got this guy. And then we got this guy. And then we got this guy. And there goes Slipknot. Yep. Yeah. Don't let her... <laughs> Don't let her stab you. 
Her sword steals people's souls. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of plot points that are, uh, regardless of the edit, uh, yeah. not very well written. Yeah. So, anyway, yes. David Ayer took to Twitter just a week before the release of James Gunn's THE Suicide Squad to set the record straight and also to heap praise onto Gunn's film. Uh, we'll leave a link to the tweet below if you'd like to read the entire thread, but here's some of what he said. I put my life into Suicide Squad. I made something amazing. My cut is an intricate and emotional journey with some bad people who are shit on and discarded, a theme that resonates in my soul. The studio cut is not my movie. Read that again. And my cut is not the 10-week director's cut. It's a fully mature edit by Lee Smith standing on the incredible work by John Gilroy. It's all Stephen Price's brilliant score with not a single radio song in the whole thing. Hmm, interesting. It has traditional character arcs, amazing performances, a solid third act resolution. A handful of people have seen it. Uh, Continues, I never told my side of the story and never will. I'm old school like that. Ah, I'm old school. Uh, So I kept my mouth shut and took the tsunami of sometimes shocking personal criticism. Ayer went out to praise uh, Gunn's version of the franchise, saying, I'm so proud of James and excited for the success that's coming. I support WB and I'm thrilled the franchise is getting the legs it needs. I'm rooting for everyone, the cast, the crew. Every movie is a miracle, and James's brilliant work will be the miracle of miracles. He added that he will, quote, no longer speak publicly on this matter. Um, but uh, an article about Ayer's statements in The Hollywood Reporter added that before Suicide Squad's release, Warner Brothers took the unusual step of commissioning multiple cuts of the film by multiple editors. Gilroy was credited on the theatrical version. At the time, Warner Brothers issued a statement admitting the film had, quote, a lot of experimentation and collaboration along the we way. We put a lot of cooks in this kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> but said, we are very proud of the result. This is a David Ayer film. Not our film. Nope. We had nothing to do with it. It's all this guy. And a lot of collaboration. Guys, we pulled so many cooks into the wonderful Mm -hmm. cooks into this wonderful kitchen. We had a sushi chef, a French chef, (laughs) a couple guys from the taco truck, a baker, a patisserie. We had had everyone. And then Guy Fieri for good measure. And we said, make us a meal. (laughs) Make us one meal. And stamp (laughs) David Ayer's name on it. Uh, uh, yeah, so that article continues. Since then, Warner Brothers underwent an extensive regime change across 2019 and 2020 that included Ann Sarnoff being named CEO of Warner Media. In wake of Zack Snyder getting to release a director's cut of Justice League in March, some have asked for an air cut of Suicide Squad. Yet the studio has shot down the idea with Sarnoff telling Variety in March, we won't be developing David Ayer's cut. When the story was published, uh, well, Ayer tweeted, Why? Warner Brothers had no immediate comment. <laughs> uh, okay. So, yeah, while it is actually confirmed that there is an air cut floating around out there somewhere, it looks like we may never see it, at least not in any official capacity, unless a bunch of you no-life assholes <laughs> take up the mantle once again and just dedicate the next four years of your lives solely to getting this fucking cut release. I don't know, Elliot. I don't know if they've got it in them. They've already conquered one thing, and you know, yeah. back, you, once you conquer something, it's time for a new generation to uh, to take the mantle. Nah, forget it. Forget it. You're too old. Yeah, you're too scared. You've already, you're, you're too tired from from the, 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 the other one, the mm-hmm. Justice League. The yeah. Snyder Cut. Nobody's yeah. going to hire a plane to fly yeah. over Warner Brothers. You're not going to strike gold twice. Come yeah. on. You couldn't do that. take over billboards at New Come York on. Comic Con. and Forget it, kid. It's Chinatown. <laughs> uh, you're too old. You're, you're too, too old. out of shape. You'll you're never do old. it again. <laughs> you're just uh, an old broken down piece of meat. But look, never say never. We've <laughs> we've learned that nothing is impossible. I act, I genuinely want to see I, the I am very cut. curious. I this. had really no interest at all in the Snyder Cut, and I still haven't seen it. 
But the air cut, I genuinely want to see. I, on the other hand, was pleasantly surprised by the Snyder cut. And uh, look, I don't, I don't know if it was worth all of the harassment and trouble that played out in the many years leading up to it, but it was a better movie. Mm. Undoubtedly a much better film. Well, And I am pretty confident in saying that despite what I view as pretty weak writing in some spots, regardless of the edit, I think that whatever the air cut of Suicide Squad is, is going to be better. Well, that's not too hard either. Exactly. But uh, we'd bet that any decision to release his cut of the film would, if at all, come way further down the line uh, in order to not further confuse anyone on their streaming platform who doesn't follow this news constantly. As we said when the Snyder Cut came out, it's just like people who, and look, it's a large percentage of people who have no uh, you know, cursory knowledge of anything outside of just yeah. what is coming out. Like Justice League, didn't that come out Four years ago? But whatever. Four hours? All right. <laughs> my, so. my favorite thing about Suicide Squad that I've seen this week is people on Twitter uh, making jokes about committing the suicide. I'm so fed up, I'm going to commit the suicide. This, this is making me so mad, I just might commit the suicide. Uh, anyway, while we're on the topic of the Suicide Squad... The James Gunn one. It has already started early screenings for the press. And the reviews so far are overwhelmingly positive. It's, yeah. it's one of the highest rated superhero movies ever. I've ever seen on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. Uh-huh. Um, here's what people are saying about the film, which hits theaters and HBO Max next Friday. So first off, as of when we filmed this, the movie had a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, with the consensus being... Enlivened by writer-director James Gunn's singularly skewed vision, The Suicide Squad marks a funny, fast-paced rebound that plays to the source material's violent, anarchic strengths. Uh, Joshua Yell of IGN wrote, James Gunn absolutely kills it with The Suicide Squad. The film is a bloody, chaotic ride from start to finish that finally does justice to Task Force X. It's endlessly shocking and funny, and its showcase of F-list DC villains is nothing short of brilliant. Brian Tellerico of RogerEbert.com wrote, Only the man who wrote Tromeo and Juliet could deliver something this gleefully grotesque, vicious, and unapologetic, and the DC Universe is all the better for it. Ian Sandwell of Digital Spy said, We totally get if you've approached the release of The Suicide Squad with some trepidation, as we felt the same, especially in the wake of the previous version. But you won't be thinking that within minutes of stepping into James Gunn's take on this world. Not everything will work for you, and that's fine, because it's exactly what we want from a blockbuster. A genuinely unique movie that's the product of a filmmaker rather than a committee. And it also helps that The Suicide Squad is also just so entertaining as a result. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, we're already excited for this. It's it's good to hear that people are loving it. A lot of the reviews go further into just how gory and hard R rated R it is, which is uh, really exactly as it should be with this source material. Yeah. But uh, anyway, now let's head over to a wonderful milestone for a piece of internet history, which also happens to be a song. Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up, which has for years been shared endlessly as a way to trick or rickroll someone. Uh, you send them a link. They're like, source? You're like, here you go. But you use like a bit.ly or whatever, and they click on it, and it's like, do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, or the, the, the link is already purple. I've already clicked this. this yeah. is definitely, it's a bait and switch. Yeah. It's a classic from the, I don't want to say least the olden like days. Pre-2010. Pre I mean, it's the start of when labels started putting music videos on YouTube. So yeah. 2008, yeah. maybe? Anyways, yeah, it hit 1 billion views on the YouTube. Beat. 
In reaction to that news, Rick Astley himself recorded a video thanking everyone. Here you go. So I've just been told that Never Gonna Give You Up has been streamed a billion times on YouTube. That is mind-blowing. The world is a wonderful and beautiful place, and I am very lucky. So lovely. He looks like he's having a great life. He's out on a boat somewhere. Good for him. Just getting all, whatever fraction of a penny he gets off of the ad sales, you know, it racks up when you hit a billion of something. Yeah. He might have made a million dollars. You could go back to like 2009 and I was like, Rick, <laughs> so there's this new thing with that song you did 20 years ago. What? Never going to give you up. People are passing it around as a joke to to punish each other. <laughs> like, well, that sucks. That makes me very sad. No, Rick, they're passing around a YouTube clip. We get paid every time. No, tell me more. <laughs> uh, no, he uh, at first obviously was like, uh, okay. Uh, he was, there's interviews where he was apparently worried that like his daughter would get bullied over it or something <laughs> like that. Aww. Uh, but, uh, he obviously over the years has embraced it because yeah. I mean, the dude got a second career out of it. He did. This song came out in the 1980s and didn't get repopularized until the late 2000s. I remember he did one of the parade. Macy's. Of, yeah. The Macy's parade, uh, one of the floats. I think it was like the adult swim float, like halfway in. It just like. Yeah, he tricked, he tricked the audience by showing up and doing the song. And again, 90% of people are just like, hey, hey I remember that song. <laughs> yeah, song still, still slaps. <laughs> no, you got tricked. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're very angry. This isn't what you were expecting. <laughs> yeah, you, you thought it was going to be something useful, but instead it's Rick Astley singing. Anyway, congratulations to Mr. Astley, as yeah. he is now a member of a very exclusive club of musicians who have surpassed a billion views, including Nirvana, Queen, and uh, also uh, Psy with his Gangnam Style. That song was uh, lightning in a bottle, wasn't it? There was like a month where that, that shit was inescapable. People would just, uh, at work in the middle of the day, like, you know what I need right now? I need a little pick-me-up. I'm going to watch the Let's Gangnam Style. Let's get the style. whole office <laughs> in on this. Hey, guys! Hey, have you seen this video from Korea? Everybody get into the bullpen. I don't know what the hell this it's guy's doing saying. doing the gallop. It's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, no, that's, it's, it is absurd and insane that the, the billion view mark is like Nirvana, one of the most beloved, most popular rock bands of all time. Queen, same thing. Just worldwide popularity for decades and up a gong style yeah whoop whoop it is very catchy and remember happened to what did the fox say that's got to have at least a couple million what did the fox say all those songs it was like uh that year specifically was like yeah hey let's what if music was crazy let's uh let's get uh, the harlem shake let's get gongham style let's get the fox says mm-hmm well so. In more positive news, it looks like Matt Stone and Trey Parker of South Park could be stepping in to save a Colorado staple, a landmark that was previously featured in one of their episodes. Casa Bonita. Mm -hmm. Quote, we want to buy Casa Bonita and treat it right. I feel like it was neglected even before the pandemic, Parker revealed Wednesday to The Hollywood Reporter. The company that currently owns Casa Bonita, Summit Family Restaurants, filed for Chapter 11 protection in Arizona on April 6th. Uh, for the moment, a possible sale is in limbo due to ongoing court proceedings, Parker said. Nonetheless, the South Park co-creators are trying to make a deal work. Quote, we are absolutely trying to buy it. We are going to do everything we can. We want to make it right and make it amazing. Should the sale occur, Parker says the duo, along with additional unidentified Colorado-based restaurateurs, have big plans for the destination. Quote, we started talking about the changes we're going to make, mostly with the food. <laughs> uh, we're going to make really awesome food. I was already thinking about how I was going to make Black Bart's Cave a little bigger, adding that it's just sitting there. It sucks. For a moment when it was like Casa Bonita is going to close down, we said, we're going to buy it. 
and it felt like that was the crowning achievement of my life. I didn't know that it was real until years after seeing the episode. I like I think I was like in college talking to people from Colorado and they're like, "Oh yeah, no Casa Bonita is real." It's like uh And they nailed it in the episode apparently. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, it's the, everything in the episode is in it. It's like a weird I don't know what to even compare they it to. They have cliff divers. Yeah. And it's, it's a themed restaurant based yeah. around cliff diving. It's like, yeah, it's sort of like, it's like, yeah, it's a theme restaurant, which mm-hmm. those kind of all died out. It's like a rainforest cafe yeah. or a whatever. Um, but yeah, apparently, like, uh, our good friend Mendoza, he apparently grew up in the area and was like, yeah, we used to go for birthday parties. And like a couple times a year, multiple kids would have their birthday party at Casa Bonita. And everyone always remarked on the uh, the smell of the water. And it's probably like that bromine stuff, like they yeah. put in Pirates of the Caribbean to keep it clean, mm-hmm. but also not give chemical burns to the divers. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's great that they're saving it. And now it's, it's literally going to turn into a destination yeah. for uh, South Park fans because with them owning it and adding up, upgrades to it and stuff. Also, there was like, well before this even happened, there were like subtle nods to South Park. Like obviously the restaurant embraced it because yeah. they probably saw a massive increase in uh, visitors. They had to hide like little Cartmans around, like stuffed Cartmans around in the place and stuff. Mm. So I don't know. It's cool to see this thing surviving. There's a lot of cool kitschy shit has died yeah. uh, over the, the past, since we were kids. Uh, there was a wonderful, fantastic uh, restaurant just outside of LA called Bahuki. Bahuk? It was it was the restaurant, it's, it's in a bunch of movies where you felt like you were underwater. There was fish tanks, literally the walls were fish tanks. The bar was a fish I tank. Never went to you could place. look down. It was in Fear and Loathing. Uh, it was uh, in a bunch of stuff, but the whole building was fish tanks. It was insane. And that closed down. It sucks to see stuff like that go. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that's it for today's episode. Uh, be sure to stay tuned for uh, Weekly Weird News. If you haven't seen our most recent episodes over here, we have a new Tech News Day. Uh, and a, if you if you really want to reminisce about the old backdrop, just rewatch yeah, those it's videos right over there. Over. Hey, it's it's there. That's the last place they'll be. And uh, we will be putting uh, uh, yeah. fan art up there. Um, hey, inspiration's calling. If you are artistic and want to. You know, maybe got a lot more room stuff. back there now. Got a lot uh, of space to fill. Tag us uh, on Twitter uh, at Internet Today TV and at Elliot ECC. I'm on I'm on Instagram now, not Twitter. Uh, a right. lot less mean. Uh, I'm on, if you send it to me on Instagram, it's at Ricky FTW on Instagram. Uh, but yeah, send some stuff in. We have more to put on the wall, and uh, there you go. Enjoy. Check out the other videos. Bye. See you next time. <laughs>